this is Kayla Flanagan, Development Vista at the Sergeant Shriver National Center on Poverty Law, a national leader in advancing justice and opportunity. I want to welcome you to The Witness. attorneys and advocates who are on the front lines of fighting for justice for people living in poverty. The Witness is a project of the Shriver Center's Clearinghouse community. Today's episode is a bonus episode from our TALS miniseries. Founded in 1977, TALS is a statewide coordinator for civil legal aid programs in Tennessee. During its 40th anniversary celebration at its Equal Justice University event, we talked with some of the lawyers and advocates who came together from across the state. We learned about their lives, their careers, and their hopes for the future of legal aid in Tennessee. In this bonus episode, we will hear some extra stories that didn't make it into our previous episodes, but wanted to share. We revisit the conversation between Chris Coleman, a staff attorney at the Tennessee Justice Center, and Russ Overby, the lead attorney of the Health, Income, and Education Practice Group in the Nashville Office of the Legal Aid Society of Middle Tennessee and the Cumberlands, as Chris shares his journey from a high-powered litigation firm to his current position at the Tennessee Justice Center. So, Chris, what about you? You, you came from a high-powered litigation firm to the Tennessee Justice Center. What, why'd you make that change? I, was, I went to law school in Chicago and clerked on the federal court there for two years and was looking for, I mean, it was my intention in going to law school um, to find a job doing public interest. I had I flirted with um, doing capital defense, you know, habeas, federal habeas work, um, which is what I did in my clerkship, uh, I mean, my uh, clinical work in law school. But uh, when I looked, I knew we were going to come back to the South. My wife and I at that point had had a son. She was writing her dissertation. I was still supposed to be writing a dissertation because I was in a JD PhD program. Decided I was not going to do that. So just started looking for jobs in sort of the public interest sphere um, in Nashville, Atlanta, and Birmingham. And uh, couldn't find anything that was quite a good fit at that point. So I went to what I thought was going to be the best firm situation for me, which was a national plaintiff's class action firm, um, which if I was going to be in a firm, it's certainly the firm that I would want to be in, um, Leif Cabraser and Hyman and Bernstein, which is a San Francisco headquartered firm. Um, and I did you know, a lot of really interesting casework and got a lot of experience, um, did antitrust work. My favorite case there, we represented um, all of the independent truck stop owners in the United States in a national class against um, Comdata, which is a company that sells the cards that they use to fuel the trucks, um, and they were in, we eventually proved, a conspiracy with all the major chain truck stops, including Pilot, which was which is owned by who else but the family of the governor of Tennessee, Bill Haslam, <laughs> also the richest elect, elected official in the United States. Um, so we sued them on behalf of the independent truck stop owners, and it was it was the one, one of the few cases that I worked on there that... Um, especially in antitrust, a lot of the cases are the FTC launches an investigation and then the firms race to the courthouse to see who can get their filed first, and it's not at all client-driven. On this, I would go to the 
um, annual convention of the National Association of Truck Stop Owners, which is a fun bunch of people. Um, <laughs> I learned quickly not to talk about politics with them. <laughs> this was 2008 during the election. Uh, Obama was not a popular figure, uh, but they were really being hurt by these practices. They were getting charged 800 times what a chain truck stop was paying wow. on these transaction fees um, solely to fund this conspiracy. Uh, so that was great, but it still, I wasn't satisfied with what I was doing because poverty was always my issue. And this was, this was important, I think. I was on the, the right side of the V. I could wake up and look myself in the, in the face in the morning because I wasn't doing you know, insurance defense or something like that. Uh, and I was on the board of TJC. Um, because I was still trying to be involved in that. And one day I was sitting in a board meeting and looking at a budget and saw a new attorney position. Uh, leaned over to Gordon. I said, I think I know somebody interested in this. Um, but then I had to do some fancy footwork because you know, national plans class action work pays a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I did it for nearly five years, so I was used to making considerably more than I make at TJC and certainly made when I started. Um, so waited till the end of the year so I could get my bonus there. <laughs> and, and basically it funded us. My wife then was finished with her dissertation so she had gotten a job. So we were able to make it work financially. Um, and I have never regretted it for a second. I mean, I, it is, was like finding you know, my dream job to be able to go in to work you know, with Gordon and Michelle and to have you know, Gordon Bodyman sort of mentoring me in how to do class action litigation um, on behalf of uh, you know, Medicaid recipients um, was, you know, I couldn't have, if I had written, okay, what do you want to do when you graduate from law school? When I went to law school, I would have said something like that um, you know, if I had gotten the, the criminal defense side out. Uh, so it's been, yeah, <laughs> it's been in interesting because one of the things I, at the firm, you don't really lose, win or lose cases. Everything is a negotiated settlement, um, usually. Uh, one of the things that I, that I did get used to being at TJC is losing, because the fact is, given the state of the law, the hostility of the courts, the fact that the state of Tennessee you know, pays an out-of-state law firm, a very, very aggressive out-of-state law firm to litigate against what I used to say, that states spent $40 million in taxpayer money to pay a law firm to fight three lawyers in a parking garage basement. Um, yeah. the, the first motion I ever filed as a TJC lawyer was a uh, unopposed motion um, for pro hoc vice admission, uh, admission of uh, some out-of-state counsel, and it was denied. <laughs> I looked it up. There's no case law of ever, one of these ever being denied. <laughs> um, I was able to get it. <laughs> get it done on a motion to reconsider, but <laughs> um, so the hostility of the courts has been a real eye opener. We end our Tales mini series where we begin with client stories. Kathy Clayton is the executive director of the West Tennessee Legal Services. In a conversation with Jane Jarvis, the managing attorney of the Jackson office of West Tennessee Legal Services, Kathy shares what she hopes for the future of legal aid and a story about changing a client's life. I was the only person at the table that loved my job. Mm -hmm. And and that, I was 
thankful that I had been able to connect with a career um, that, that I loved at the beginning, loved in the middle, loved at the end as I'm winding down. Um, so it, it was pretty telling and I thought, well, you know, maybe all of these people should do a little bit more pro bono. <laughs> and maybe they would find some of the job satisfaction that, that I've, I've really been very blessed mm -hmm. to have experienced throughout my entire uh, career. So, so now you're our executive director and you're looking toward the future. What do you see on the horizon? Well, of course, I, I do see challenges, but, but I see opportunity as well. I see that the need is so great and that we have the opportunity to expand our services, to do our services in a different way, to um, work towards not being the organization that says, gosh, we really wish we could help you, but mm -hmm. we just don't have the manpower or the funding to do that. I, I see us as uh, using technology and other resources to, um, even when we can't help someone with full services, to at least give them something. And I know that's initially what Access to Justice is about. I don't think that's enough. Mm -hmm. And so I think that we always need to be striving toward full representation of folks who otherwise cannot get what they need to meet their best basic needs, their mm -hmm. needs for shelter security, for food security, for freedom from abuse, for um, children who um, need help in the school system in order mm -hmm. to um, thrive there and, and make a difference. You know, uh, we, we cite this a lot about um, how every dollar spent on civil legal aid in Tennessee results in one $11.20 in economic benefit to our communities. Mm -hmm. And I, I tell everyone, um, gosh, just think if your 401k was performing mm -hmm. so well or any investments that you mm -hmm. had. It's, it's invaluable. Mm -hmm. it's, um, it's a good, solid investment if you're just looking at the dollars but the difference we make in people's life is invaluable. And one of the things that struck me um, when I first came on board again with West Tennessee Legal Services was a, a lady that was referred to us from the Cancer Center mm -hmm. in Jackson, Tennessee. And I felt like it was a trick referral because the referral was to get her some um, dental surgery that she needed uh, she was on TennCare, which is mm -hmm. our version of Medicaid, and Tennessee is one of the few states that does not include dental care in those benefits. Mm -hmm. Well, she had had some type of cancer of her mouth. I can't remember exactly what it was, but as a result, her teeth had crumbled inside her jaw, causing immense pain. She mm -hmm. was depressed. Um, she was having trouble with everything. She didn't know where to go. She felt hopeless. And um, so when the referral was made, it was made directly to me. I contacted our intake paralegal in the county where she lived, mm -hmm. a county that's very rural with few resources. And the intake paralegal went to her home to visit her mm -hmm. because she had no transportation and talked to her and, and came back and said, you know, she's got this problem that she needs this uh, medical attention, but it's worse than that. She um, 
had received a continuing disability notice from the Social Security mm -hmm. Administration. This was a lady who had worked all her life until her illness prevented her from working and she was on Social Security mm -hmm. disability. She hadn't made a lot of money but she had always worked hard and um, she didn't respond and so she recently got another letter that said because you didn't respond we find you're not disabled anymore. So not only could she not get the medical care she needed for her teeth, right. and this was more than a dentist, this needed an oral surgeon, mm -hmm. and uh, that was a big problem, but the bigger problem was now she had no medical insurance, and she had no income, mm -hmm. and she didn't even have SNAP benefits. Mm -hmm. She had uh, a $10 uh, phone card that she could use each month that her sister had bought her, and that was literally all she had. So we went to work mm -hmm. and um, the cancer center didn't even know that they weren't going to be paid oh. <laughs> for the medical treatment because she had lost her teen mm -hmm. care. Um, but we went to work and we contacted the, our paralegal went to the local Social Security office and said this, you know, this is a terrible thing that has happened. She is disabled. She's just been overwhelmed because of her illness. Mm -hmm. And um, so we filed a, an appeal of the denial of her, of her continuing disability and also filed a motion that said, we've got good cause for the late mm -hmm. filing. It's because she's so sick. And we got a letter from the doctor at the cancer center that said, yes, she's so sick. She's just been unable to function. And to make this long story short, our client was not only reinstated to her benefits pending the appeal, but we were successful in reinstating her benefits and she also got back benefits for the time mm -hmm. that she had been without any benefits. So that was, that was a really good outcome for her, but more important, it changed her life. She told her paralegal that she didn't believe you could fight the government, but mm -hmm. now she knows that when you're right, you can fight the government and you can win. And there was nothing that the Social Security Administration had done wrong. She was just unable right. to, um, to handle that at that time. And then she also told our paralegal, it used to be the only person I trusted was my sister, but now I trust West Tennessee Legal right. Services too. Mm -hmm. So I, I thought that was a really important lesson to how we treat people and exactly. what we're there for. Exactly. Thank you for listening to this bonus Tales episode. Once again, this has been Kayla from the Sardin and Shriver National Center on Poverty Law. This episode was recorded by Amanda Moore, Director of the Clearinghouse Community at the Shriver Center, and produced by Jesse Dixon, the Training and Engagement Vista at the Shriver Center. We'd like to extend a special thanks to Tales for sharing their stories and allowing us to record at the Equal Justice University. We hope you'll continue joining us for The Witness. Our next Witness episode will be our new mini-series on the Shriver Center's own Racial Justice Institute. We talked with graduates of the Racial Justice Institute at the first ever RJI convening as they talked about their RJI journeys. We hope you'll join us for the stories. We'd also like to invite you to join us for the Advocacy Exchange, our monthly conversations with advocates advancing change. Those are hosted live through YouTube each month. You can find both the Advocacy Exchange and The Witness on Apple Podcasts or Google Play. 
You can learn more about the podcast and the Clearinghouse community by going to povertylaw.org slash clearinghouse. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time.